Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. Uh, just follow along with me, Romans 11, 1 through to 26. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought earnestly they did not obtain. They elect, the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and that their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as fist fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though the wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches, will, uh, sorry, branches were broken off so that you could be grafted in. Granted, but, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue, uh, continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to craft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to the nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more red readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all, all Israel will be saved. 
as as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word that is true and living, and we thank you that through it we can know you deeper. We can know how you work, we can know your plans, and we can know how we fit into that grand salvation plan that you have uh, for humanity. And we do pray, Lord, today that as, as we hear from your word, your spirit will be at work, giving us understanding, giving us wisdom, and helping us think through where we stand before you. And so we pray for that now, Lord, as we, as we get into this chapter about Israel and, and us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the other day I came across a, a really interesting blog piece about uh, this idea of ghosting. I don't know if you guys, have, um, you guys know what ghosting is. Who, who doesn't know what ghosting is? All right, there's a few people who don't know what ghosting is. Right, so it, it was in the Huff Post, so it was just some blog piece. Um, but it's a relatively modern phenomenon, right, that has become so common in everyday language. Uh, and for those who don't know, it's a term basically that's used. Um, really, really, it's been used in dating apps first, in dating apps where uh, you communicate over text messages. Um, it wasn't used 10 years ago, honestly. Like me and, when me and Heidi were dating, we never used the word ghosting. We don't ghost people. That's just a, it just wasn't a thing. But now it's really common. We use it in everyday language often uh, these days. Um, so ghosting happens when after several dates, um, usually, yeah, not just the first one, but after several dates, you start to get to know someone, and then all of a sudden, they've, they've cut off communication with you and haven't told you why. They've basically left you on scene, you know, like scene, as in you can see, see that they've seen your message, and they stop replying to you, and they just ghost you. Right? That's what ghosting means, if you don't know. Right? Now, this, this word is actually used a lot in, in just everyday language when you talk about friendships, too. I, you know, I have friends. Uh, there are people in this room who ghost me sometimes, and it really hurts my feelings. Uh, but it happens. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've been ghosted before, maybe in dating or maybe in friendships, but it's painful. It, it is painful. It's painful to be cut off from someone, and you don't know why, because from your perspective, things are going really well. And the article goes on to give some, some pop psychology and says, at its core, ghosting is really avoidance. It, it stems from fear and conflict, uh, not fear of conflict, not wanting to um, confront, avoiding difficult conversations, hurting someone's feelings. Yet at the same time, it actually, the more we ghost, the more it actually increases anxiety and causes more conflict and hurt by avoidance to the, to the other side and, and to us as well. There's, there's no surprises there. Ghost, ghosting really leaves people feeling insecure, doesn't it? And, and left wondering, where do I stand with this person? It's not a good feeling to be ghosted. It made me think about us and God. How often do we treat God like that? How would God feel? Have you left him on scene? You know, ghosting God? Perhaps your relationship with God is limited to just, you know, Sunday mornings and, and maybe that weeknight with a small group if it, at most but your relationship with God is really just one of convenience. When it, when it suits you, you'll connect with God. When it suits you, you'll read the Bible. When it suits you, you might come to church. And, and sure, we can go through the motions, but your personal relationship with God, well, is there one? Or perhaps you haven't felt close to God recently. Perhaps he's been ghosting you too. You might have felt that he's been ghosting you too. Where do you stand with God? And I was thinking about this as I, as I read chapter 11. Chapter 11 is going to confront our hearts using Israel as an example of what a living, thriving relationship with God will look like. And it calls us to search our hearts as well. To search our hearts and to move towards God in love and worship. 
Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I hope too that this will be helpful. It's going to be a bit complicated, but hopefully it'll be helpful to give you an understanding of what the Christian life looks like. It's going to be complicated because there's going to be a lot of history and understanding and context of what the Bible talks about. But here, uh, but again, if you have missed our talks, get online. Catch up on our Romans series. Listen to chapter 9 and 10 if you need to. Uh, it's all online on our podcast as well. But here we are in chapter 11. If you remember chapter 9, we talked about God's election. That means he predestines and he chooses those who are his. He does the work of saving and changing people's hearts to know him and come into a relationship with him. It's 100% God. But then in chapter 10, we also heard, didn't we? While God chooses to save, we too have a very real responsibility to respond to God and we're held accountable to how we receive and hear the gospel and live by it, live by his grace. It's by faith in his grace that we're saved into a relationship with God, right? So it's 100% God at work who changes our hearts, but it's 100% us too to own our faith and live by it. And this is how the Bible presents it. This is how we can have faith and be saved by God. Now, Paul, here in chapter 11, he anticipates this question, really important question we should be asking. He starts off in chapter 11 asking the question, what about Israel? Has God rejected Israel? We're not going to reread the whole reading, but I'm going to make references to it, so please keep your Bibles open. Again, Paper Bibles are really helpful for times like this where there's a big chunk and we need to refer to it. So if you do have a paper Bible, please use that. But think about it. We should all be asking this question. It should really bamboozle us, right? God, throughout the whole Old Testament of the Bible, has had his focus on his people Israel, who we know today as Jews, right? They were his chosen and treasured possession, his covenant people. That means his promise people. They were going to be given a Messiah, a Christ, that would save and rescue them. They would be blessed and live under God's rule as God's people in God's promised land. And that was stuff that was promised to them back all the way in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, Jesus did come, and Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And as history and the Bible tells us, Israel did not see him as that. They did not accept him as the Messiah. It was, in fact, the Jewish leaders of his time who rejected Jesus and crucified him. Now, remember, Paul is writing to the Roman church here, the Romans in the first century, right? And we should be wondering at this point, why is Christianity now spreading to Gentiles, right? So Gentiles are non-Jews, non-Jewish people like you and I. Why is the gospel spreading to Gentiles now, not the Jewish people, God's original people of promise, why are they not seeing Jesus as Christ like we do? Are they not saved? Did God not choose them? Did God's promises fail? Underline, italics, emphasis added. Did God's promises fail? This is a big question. And when we ask this question, we need to be thinking, oh, how do we know the same won't happen to us? So there are going to be two parts to this talk. Where, where does Israel stand before God? And the second part is, where do we stand before God? Let's, let's tackle Israel first. There are three things that Paul says to respond to that question about Israel. The first is this. He himself, Paul, is a believer, a Christian. He himself, Paul, is a Jewish convert to Christianity. In fact, the early church consisted lots of Jewish people, consisted of lots of Jewish people who met Jesus and was converted through the ministry of the apostles who were Jewish ethnically too. If God didn't care about Israel anymore, why would Paul himself be one of the apostles who brings the message to so many people? God hasn't failed. 
He's using Jewish people to, 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 to bring the message of Christ to people. But the second thing he says is this, God did not reject those he foreknew. What's he, what's he saying here? He's saying not all of Israel belonged to God from the start. Within Israel, there were always some who were belonging to God and some who weren't. Some he had predestined. Some he knew spiritual Israel, essentially. Those who had faith in God would be saved. Children of Abraham, chapter 4 that in Romans. And now he uses this example of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament during the exile. The, and he's talking about the remnant here. Israel had abandoned God in the Old Testament, parts of the Old Testament. And Elijah was a prophet. He came. His job was to tell people, tell people to come back to God, repent, um, uh, turn away from your rebellion. And he comes to God. And he was on a mountaintop. And he asked God, where are your people? Where is Israel? And Israel at this point in time of history, where Elijah's time, they were so rebellious to God. They tore down altars for God. They killed prophets. They were worshipping the Baals, which were foreign gods in ancient religion. And Elijah's like, am I the only one left in Israel? And God responds to him, no, there are 7,000 others who are mine still as well. So even throughout history, there's always been this remnant this group of people, uh, Jewish people, that God had saved for himself whose hearts belonged to God, true spiritual Israel. In the same way Paul is saying, there are still many in Israel that will come to God in faith through Jesus. There will be a remnant. We saw that in Paul's time. We still, that, we still see that today, Jews becoming Christians. There's been a movement in the last uh, 60, 70, 80 years called Messianic Judaism, where people are coming, Jews are coming towards and, and coming to know Jesus. There's this group called Jews for Jesus, even, if you look them up. They have a Jewish heritage, but are coming to salvation through Jesus. As I looked this up this last week, I actually found out there are a few celebrities that we might know that are, that are in this camp. Um, Bob Dylan, Josh Groban, Shia LaBeouf, they would identify as... Messianic Jews or, or Jews for Jesus or born-again Christians with Jewish heritage, right? And as verse 5 to 6 tells us, it's because, thirdly, it's by God's grace. God will, in His grace, save His people as He always has, not because they're good, not because they're following uh, the Ten Commandments perfectly. He will save because He, in His nature, graciously and lovingly brings people to Him. And so Paul tells us that God has a plan. Even if many today still reject God, and his plan of salvation will begin with the Gentiles. This is what he goes into, verse 11. He asks this question again. Again I ask, verse 11, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. See, Israel's rejection of God, of God's Messiah, Jesus, was their transgression, their sin. To believe that they could save themselves through works of the law and not through Jesus was a rejection of their God. It was saying, I don't need God, I can save myself. But it meant that the salvation was then open to Gentiles, people like you and I, non-Jews. Through Israel's rejection of Jesus, the opportunity came then that Gentiles would hear the message, that Gentiles would repent and believe. This is so fascinating because you can actually see this happen in the book of Acts in our Bibles. What happens in the book of Acts? The apostles go out and tell people about Jesus, right? The first place they go to, where do they go to first? To towns. And in those towns, they go to Hebrew synagogues. They go to the Jews. What happens in those synagogues? They get kicked out. They don't want to hear it. They reject Jesus. And so the apostles, they go out into the streets of those cities. 
They go into the marketplaces and they tell people about Jesus. And what happens? Gentiles, thousands of Gentiles will come to know Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 11. Because of their transgression, because of their rejection of Jesus, salvation has now come to the Gentiles. And we saw that in the book of Acts. If Christianity, think about this, this is crazy. If Christianity stayed amongst the Jews in synagogues, you and I wouldn't be here today. Because it would just be God's people, Israel, promised people that would have heard the message and repented and that would be it. But no, the opportunity came so that Gentiles, like you and I, the whole world essentially, could come and hear about Jesus. God opened the door so that Paul the Apostle and many others would bring the message of Jesus to Gentiles, to Greeks, to Romans, to the rest of Europe. Israel's rejection led to a global, worldwide, inclusive movement. <sighs> Blows my mind. <laughs> now, along with that, it'll result in Jews seeing Gentiles. hope you're still following me here. <laughs> it'll result in Jews seeing Gentiles come into this real and living relationship that it will cause envy, a uh, uh, missing out on what they themselves were promised. That's what it says. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Yeah, it makes me wonder sometimes, do people who meet you or, you or I, like, do they envy what we have in our relationship with God? But that's the idea here. Paul is saying it's going to lead one day to this full inclusion. The nation of Israel will see Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And jump down with me, down to verse 25 and 26. And I will read this to you. This is how Mike finished the reading earlier for us. Verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. God will bring his people back to him through Jesus after bringing many of the Gentiles to him. God will bring the nation of Israel, it says. All of Israel will be saved. This is huge, huge claim, huge statement here. All of Israel will be saved as a nation. They'll come to, to be saved through Jesus. I don't think he's saying here literally every single person who is ethnically Jewish will be saved, but the nation as a whole will come to see Jesus as their Messiah. And then we'll see such a great conversion of Jews that it'll be like the nation of Israel as a whole. God has a big redemption plan for Israel his original chosen people. And there'll be a day Israel will be brought into this grace-filled, love-centered relationship with God through the Messiah Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I don't often think about Israel in the, in the plan of salvation. I just think about us, right? And bring the gospel to as many people as possible. But God actually has a plan for Israel, his original people. Now, let me give you something to think about because I don't know when else would be a better time to mention this. But right now, now in our moment of history, we're seeing something play out quite tragically, aren't we? Uh, in the Middle East. And as Christians, we need to understand how to think about this. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, I opened up my Instagram and was, um, Instagram and was confronted by images of a protest that happened over in, in New York. Uh, I follow this photojournalist called Mel Cole, and his photography is stunning, right? But often confronting as well. And so if you followed the news last month, you would have known that conflict erupted in Israel and Palestine. Uh, in May, in the area of Gaza, over 240 people were killed, right? Over 11 days of fighting with women and children who were part of their death toll. And so these were some of the photos that came up on my Instagram. I just screenshot them for you so you can see. Um, people that were very pro-Palestine, you know, free Palestine. Um, Palestinian sovereignty is a human right on that other side. 
again, these kids um, protesting as well in New York. But there are others as well that were uh, protesting uh, for pro-Israel. So we've just got one image there, just a few uh, pictures from the day itself. That was all happening on the 22nd of May. Peaceful protest. Um, the worst that happened was uh, some people were burning a flag, uh, Israel flag, which was quite sad. But that's what happened uh, on the 22nd of May, a protest in New York. Now, I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this, and this situation is so complex, okay? This, this, this conflict in the Middle East that's been happening for decades, uh, for, for ages, actually, because uh, it is really complex. Jews and Palestinian Arabs, they have claimed this land as their ancestral, ancestral home. Uh, they both believe it belongs to them. Now, we're part of God's people. We're the church. We're Christians, right? But you'll find sometimes that there are Christians who might be very pro-Israel. There's a, a belief that by backing Israel, backing Israel even in this conflict, there'll be a fulfillment of what God has talked about in the Bible. What are they referring to? They're referring to what's going on here in Romans 11, that Israel will be saved. We need to be super careful. Is Israel's salvation going to happen through Israel fighting over land and bombing Palestinians? Christians, we have the same God. And this God promised us a greater land in Jesus. The Bible says we will possess the new heavens and the new earth, not just this Gaza Strip in the Middle East. Now, I know this isn't simple. I'm not saying it is. It's so complex, and I'm not in a position to talk politics, and, and there needs to be international diplomacy and lots of other stuff to happen. But as Christians, we should be at least praying for peace. And we should want Israel, our Jewish friends, and the nation to come to come to a real living relationship with God through Jesus. And we should want our Palestinians, friends as well, to come to Jesus too. But when they do, our hope is they won't see the need to fire guns or send missiles over a piece of land, but rather they'll see that they have every promise, every heavenly eternal blessing, because they have Jesus the Messiah who fulfills every promise. That should be our prayer. And as Christians, we should desire, like Paul here in Romans 11, for Israel to come to know Jesus. God's heart for Israel is the same heart for us. He loves them. He wants them to be saved. One day he'll open their hearts to Jesus, but in the meantime, we need to pray for peace and stability in one of the most unstable war-torn places in the world. God hasn't forgotten about Israel. And while they've rejected his anointed Messiah, they've disconnected, they have disconnected themselves from God and instead replaced salvation, not with grace, but with how they can fulfill good works to please God. And Paul himself repeats that God's promises, they haven't failed. God doesn't give up on Israel. And I find this really interesting for us to really glean something from Paul. He keeps, he's so patient. Throughout Romans, multiple times, he, said, he speaks about his heart for them, for his own people. He won't stop preaching to them. He's still hopeful that God will change their hearts. Are we that hopeful for the people around us? Are we that patient for the people around us? Will we keep patiently bringing the gospel to the ones that we love around us who say to you, oh, Mikey, good for you, but Jesus isn't for me? Don't give up on bringing the truth of Jesus to people, just like Paul does with his own people, Israel. But for now, there's other stuff we can glean as well. If God has chosen us to be his church, and if you at some point in your life had said, yep, God is real, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, because God's Holy Spirit is at work in you, does your life continue to reflect that? If Jesus is your Lord, does, does your life reflect that? Where do you stand with God? We've seen where Israel stands. Where do you stand with God? A big section of our reading today was verse 12 to 24. I'm just going to read a section of that. But Paul's using this illustration, uh, to, to, uh, and we're going to see how we fit into that picture. 
what we can be learning from Israel's failure to see Jesus uh, and how we fit in. Let's read from verse 17, because I think this is a really important warning for us to hear. Verse 17 says this, If some of the branches have been broken off, that's he's talking about Israel, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, who fell but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. It's heavy, isn't it? He's using this olive tree as his picture. He tells us the original olive tree uh, and root was Israel and the promises that he made to them, to his people. Now, some branches were broken off so that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, you and I could be grafted in. And, and what, if you read up on this, horticulturists hopefully will tell you this, but by bringing this wild olive shoot, it'll reinvigorate the whole original plant to produce fruit and flourish. It'll bring energy back into that original root. Uh, you see, the wild olive branch is the Gentiles, right? And it's following Paul's line of thought of the promises of God and salvation being extended to the non-Jewish people. That's... That's inclusion, that's the nourishment from the sap. So we're following this illustration. We're, we're grafted in, and so we, he says we can't disrespect or look down on the Jews for rejecting God because look at the root. The Bible was written by Jews, and Jesus himself was a Jewish Messiah. But most importantly, we can't get arrogant because our salvation wasn't up to us. It was God's grace alone and his... and. It was God's grace alone, his election to include us in his promise. So we're left with a warning, aren't we? We have to listen to this. Do not be arrogant about your salvation. Don't take it for granted. The original branch was removed. Israel rejected God. By grace, we've been grafted in. Was that you? Was that me? Did I do that? Did you do that? Did you or I deserve to be included in God's plan of salvation? No, I for sure didn't. I was a rebellious punk that had no time for God and Jesus. But by grace, we're saved. By grace, the promise of relation with God was secured. God's spirit has changed you and I from the inside out to see this life-saving message of the gospel. Don't take it for granted. We often see our Christian faith like, like a get-out-of-jail-free card, don't we? Like, you know, when you play Monopoly, you get that card, you keep it in your pocket, waiting for the right time to just whip it out. If we land in jail, whew, we got this insurance. Sometimes we treat our faith like that. I'll access prayer. I'll be a Christian when I need to be. It gets to our head. We act entitled, privileged, when you and I had no part to play in it at all. Why do we take the glory for ourselves when our Christian faith was a gift from God? God is kind and he's loving. But verse 22, see his sternness as well. Uh, in other words, and these are my words, he's not going to take our crap. If we think we can get away with saying we're Christians, we're not actually living out and pursuing a relationship with Jesus. God is loving. He grants our salvation freely through faith. Yes, 100%, but does your heart belong to him? Look at Israel. Paul wants us to see this. God gave Israel the promises, but so many of them aren't in God's plans of salvation. For you and I, we've received the promises, 
And at some point, we prayed to God and we said, God, we give our lives to you. At some point, we uh, accepted Jesus as our Savior. We called him Lord. But does he still have that position in our lives? Or have you ghosted him, left him on scene? Is he just a footnote somewhere in the background of our lives rather than front and center? Friends, where do you stand with God? Are you just giving him lip service, showing up on some Sundays of the year, maybe small groups when it's convenient, going to church thinking that I can, what can I, what can I get out of this for me? Is it worth my time? Is it worth getting out of bed, skipping time to study? Is church and serving Jesus an inconvenience, something you're grumbling about because it doesn't suit your lifestyle? You know, we have this, uh, this idea that sin is just so easily forgiven and, and you can go on sinning without any repentance or awareness. And we make Christianity, don't we? We make it all about us. Are you making Christianity all about you? Or is it going to be all about Jesus? Are we here because we desire to grow in our relationship with God and desire to love others as God calls us to? Do we realize it's about Him and not about me because we believe Jesus is our Savior? Yes, but we also believe He's our Lord. And that means he's Lord over our entire lives. He's Lord over our careers, our relationships, our family, our finances, our friendships, our time, our energy, every sphere of life. Yes, I hear it. Many of us will say we're Christians because we got baptized. We're Christians because my parents raised me in the church. We're Christians because I go to this church sometimes when I feel like it. But is Jesus Lord over our lives? Here's the thing uh, we've heard so far from Paul in Romans, right? He said that we're saved through faith in Christ, through grace alone, God's grace, our faith. Yes, 100%, that's what saves us. We have faith in God, in His grace alone, that saves us. But have we acknowledged that if we truly have saving faith, our lives will look markedly different, like that our lives aren't living for ourselves anymore, but they live for Jesus. Your attitude, your perspective, your worldview has changed because the gospel changes everything. See, when we put our faith in Jesus, it's an ongoing journey of daily repentance and obedience and worship. And this is where we need to really be aware. Over time, it's very easy for us to slowly drift. We'll get comfortable. We'll go through the motions. We'll tick the boxes. Yes, church. Yes, I read my Bible. Yes, I went to a small group this week. Yes, I prayed. Yes, God. God has to save me now because I ticked off all the boxes. But friends, we can't be lukewarm in our faith. I'm not saying we need to have this intense, you know, energetic, extroverted passion and look like a Christian on steroids. No, I'm saying we have to have a living relationship with Jesus. Where we want to see him glorified through what we do in our everyday. We've been grafted onto the olive tree by grace. Do you know what that means? Do you know where you stand before God? You see, while the Bible says we believe, once we believe we've been saved, we're always saved, that comes with the understanding that the saved, the Christian, believes salvation comes at a cost. It's not cheap. It's not cheap grace. Jesus died on the cross to save us, and that cost him his life. It's costly grace. So why would we treat our salvation as merely lip service then? Once saved, the disciple of Jesus lives life as a person who no longer lives for themselves, but for him. We've been saved by grace to do good. So do you see why this example of Israel is so important for us? You see, the point Paul is making is that faith is not presumption. Don't presume just by merely believing in Jesus, that's it. You're done. It's where we start. 
It's what we need to believe, yes, to be saved. But throughout Romans, his whole argument about the Jews is this. Though they were the chosen people, they became overconfident that they were in no matter how they lived, simply because of their heritage. That isn't and wasn't the case. To know that we're chosen and saved by God is a life that continues to seek to be like Jesus. It's perseverance in holiness that shows our preservation by God. Do you know what I mean by that? We persevere, and that actually displays God's preserving us as his children. God won't let us fall away, but we need to continue in holiness. And if that continuing in holiness disappears, if we start to live uh, for ourselves and live in sin, if we start ghosting God and start to rely on our own performance for our relationship, then we will and should begin to wonder if we are really saved at all and can call ourselves followers of Christ if we're not following Christ in our lives. You can read this later in 2 Peter chapter 1, but it, it, it talks about if we're second-guessing, if we're saved, if we're, it, it, you won't if you're actually living out your calling as Christians. You won't be second-guessing if you're pursuing holiness and loving others and growing in self-control and affection and knowledge and goodness, if we're pursuing Jesus in our lives, persevering and enduring and living it out. We should be reassured that we belong to God, that we have the Spirit of God with us because we're going to keep moving towards a life of transformation and change. So practically, look around. You've been given the opportunity to live out your faith. You're in this church community. That's a good start. You get to hear the Bible preached each week. You get to be amongst other Christians. Don't waste that. Dig deeper into the Word of God with others around you. Dig deeper in your own personal life with God. Come to Him in repentance. Grow in self-awareness of your sin. Even ask your church family around you, people that you trust, what growing in faith looks like or what blind spots that you might have. It may be hard. It's going to be hard. But self-awareness comes when you're in community, when others love you enough to point out and help you to be aware. Be aware of your sin. Get to know where you fall short. Ask God to help you be more selfless and humble and Jesus-centered in the way you live. Otherwise, if you do continue ghosting God, God will cut you off when the day comes. A warning that I need to hear just as much as the next person. Let me ask you again, where do you stand with God? For those who don't know God, now is a good day to start. See that the offer of salvation has been extended to you too. It's no coincidence that you're here today. It's not by chance. God wants you to hear this message, this part of the Bible, even if it's so complicated. Come and receive the blessings and salvation that we have in Christ, that is, that he secured for us in his death and resurrection. But for the Christian in the room, the warning is there for us to really hear. Unlike God, we, 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 can't, unlike God we, we do choose to avoid, don't we? We don't want to confront and face conflict. Ghosting does seem easier to just ignore over time and then slowly drift away and even drift away from Jesus. But God, he doesn't get, ghost us, does he? He's pretty straightforward. Jesus himself has, says it, has said it multiple times in the gospel. This is one where he says it, and I'm paraphrasing this. But he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many will try to enter and will not be able to. They will knock and the door, uh, and, and, and the door uh, someone will come to the door and they will say, and they will say to Jesus, uh, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But Jesus will reply, I don't know you. you know, it's really confronting and we don't want to hear it. But let this be my encouragement and challenge to you. The more you pursue God, the more you'll see around you God actually perform miracles around you. 
the more you pursue holiness and humility in time uh, with God and His Word and prayer and serving others in love, sharing the gospel with those who don't God, struggling with, with your own sin and repentance and obedience, it's in those moments we'll see God at work, active and present in your life. God hasn't ghosted you. But if you are ghosting God, it's time to stop. Bring Him to the forefront and the center of our lives. And I really want to finish with this. We're going to be rejoicing in the greatness of grace and love of God like Paul does when we see God at work. When we understand how God works in our lives, when we understand how this whole idea of um, predestination and His grace upon us, us who are so undeserving of His grace, the mystery of how it all works, when we actually come to an understanding of how good and awesome God is, how worthy we will be celebrating, we'll be praising, we'll be worshipping His name. And so he finishes chapter 11. We didn't read this earlier, so you can follow along with me in your Bibles. It's a doxology, which means a word of worship. From verse 33, it says this, O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him, And through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You're an awesome God and and there are so many things um, that you know that we don't, that you have planned out, that, um, that we can only see a small section of. And we do pray, Lord, that we'll be able to see you in your greatness and your worthiness that we'll be able to see your might and your power and your holiness and your majesty, and we'll be able to um, come before you in surrender, knowing that we are just branches grafted into the olive tree. And we're here, Lord, because of your grace and your grace alone in Jesus, who gave his life up for us at the cross so that we could have life, so that we could know your grace and know your love, and we could have eternity secured for us with you, the greatest gift of all. We do pray, Lord, that you'll keep opening our hearts to that truth, revealing to us the great news of the gospel and what that means for us, and help us, Lord, to to move towards you in our lives, to put away sin, live in repentance and obedience, and to come before Christ in surrender, looking to the cross in how we live. So we do pray for this, Lord. May we make the most of our faith, may we make the most of our salvation, and may we bring the gospel to everyone around us as well. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.